Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. We've got some great things in store for us this morning. We're coming into the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, okay? And so if you're uh, wanting to, please turn to chapter 22 to follow along. Now, Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, is broken into 72 verses. So at the rate that I usually go, about 25 to 35 verses per hour, We're not going to try to finish it this morning. These 72 verses that we're about to read cover about 24 hours of Jesus and the disciples' life. And so you could break it down to about three to three and a half verses per hour for this chapter. But this morning, by God's grace, we'll, we'll see where we can get to, maybe about halfway through. We're coming into... Uh, a very, very personal time of Jesus with His disciples. And uh, we'll just go ahead and read, and, and uh, we can all enter in together. Father God, I want to ask that You would just illuminate our hearts, our minds, our spirits, Lord, that You would come alive in this place, and that You would reveal to us that which You would want each of us to know individually and also as a body, Lord, corporately, that you would speak to us, that we would be uh, mindful of what we have learned and then practical in going out and doing what we've heard in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. Verse 1, chapter 22 of Luke. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. Now, we've been talking about this for several weeks. I don't need to belabor it, but right in the get-go here, we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Two feasts that we read about in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, one of the best places to go find out about it. Also in Exodus chapter 12, where originally we uh, were with the children of Israel as they were delivered out of bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt through the Passover, the death of the firstborn and the sacrifice of the lamb whose blood was painted on the lintels and doorposts of the house and those who took shelter under the blood of the lamb. God passed over his judgment upon Egypt and set his children free. And so this is a huge celebration that's taking place. We've been talking about it many weeks, so I don't need to belabor it too much. But there are close to 3 million people in town in Jerusalem. Normally, in Jesus' day, Jerusalem the, and the environs very close near would be about 400,000. If you considered Jerusalem like mini Kasha, right? Where we will count places like Rupert and uh, Murtaugh or Albion and all in the mix. In Jerusalem, there'd be about 400,000, but now it's swelled to upwards of 200, two and a half million, three million people. So it's a big feast. It is the biggest of the feasts on the Jewish calendar. This is the one that pretty much kicked it all off. It was in this feast of Passover that the nation of Israel was born and that God started working in them and through them and to the world 
And uh, so there's a lot to celebrate in this. Well, it says the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. Two different feasts, as we talked about earlier. Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, we call it, on the Jewish calendar, the 10th of Nisan, on the calendar, according to the book of Exodus in chapter 12. And for five days, from Nisan 10 to Nisan 14, the children of Israel would be inspecting those lambs that they would offer as a sacrifice, that blood on the lintel and the doorpost. And Jesus has been going through cross-examination from the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees et al. And he's passed the test without spot, without blemish. He's answered everything and stopped up their mouths. And now here they are at this place, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover would occur at the night of Nisan 14, okay, or the middle of the month. If you know anything about the lunar cycles, it is on the 14th, 15th, that night, that the moon becomes a full moon, okay? And it's that time of the year that they celebrate the first month of the year, originally the month of Abib back in the book of Exodus 12. Later, after their captivity in Babylon, it was renamed the month of Nisan. That's the one we commonly use. And so, it's almost time. The month, the feast of unleavened bread and Passover. So Passover would be celebrated that night of Nisan 14. And then the next day, Nisan 15, and for one whole week would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you remember the story of the Israelites as they're freed from captivity in Egypt, they have no time to prepare a meal. So they just have to skedaddle on out and they're Bread has not had time to rise. And as we go through the scriptures, we see this as a picture of unleavened bread or bread without sin, bread without that which puffs it up, okay? And it's a picture to us of purity and wholeness. So this feast of unleavened bread, this week beginning Nisan 15 and running through the 21st, everybody would eat this unleavened bread in commemoration of God delivering his people not only from Pharaoh and uh, the Passover, the firstborn, but that was the time when he then worked in their heart to cleanse them and make them a new creation and a new people. Well, we're going to see before this morning is over, as Jesus is going to take it up a notch, as if it wasn't enough that there are millions of people in town and hundreds of thousands of lambs being slaughtered and a celebration like nobody's business going on. Jesus is going to take it to the next level. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Not when they might kill him or if they might kill him, but how they might kill him. They already had it in mind. We, As we've been going through this, read in John's gospel, uh, written uh, decades after Luke, John, looking back and filling in some of the details, shares how when Jesus uh, rose Lazarus from the grave, that's when the Pharisees started deciding, we need to kill this guy. Caiaphas, the high priest, says, don't you know it's more expedient that one should die for the whole nation? And the idea being, if we can take out this rabbi, this rebellious rabbi in their estimation, if we can quench him, we can quench his whole following that comes after him. And so not only did they want to kill Jesus, but when Lazarus came out of the grave, they wanted to kill Lazarus too, because that was evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, okay? Messiah, God, come to redeem the nation. And so they're figuring out how they might kill him, 
for they feared the people. And as we read in other Gospels, we'll see they did not want to kill him during the Passover. Passover was always a, a, a very volatile time, both years prior to and years after what we're reading this morning, when you've got a nation that is governed by an occupying foreign empire, the Romans, and you have millions of Jews oppressed under the Roman government, paying taxes to Rome and being told what to do by Rome and being told what they can't do. There was a lot of tension every Passover, every time crowds would come and they would fill up the Antonia Fortress with soldiers and we'll see later that Pilate is in town and that uh, Herod is in town. They're not in their their kings and their castles at Caesarea or whatever. They're all here because this is a powder keg. And should they lose control, should riots break out that they don't quell, because riots were always breaking out at Passover. There was always zealots in the crowd. There was always people fomenting and trying to get uh, this uh, coup, if you would, over the Roman government. So everybody's on high alert, right? Uh, a red flag warning, okay? All this is going on, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to kill Jesus, but there's a problem. They fear the people. I mean, they're outnumbered, seriously outnumbered, and the people love Jesus. Who doesn't love Jesus? This is one of the things I know that as we get out sharing with our friends and our family, and you start talking about church, you talk about what you did at the baptism yesterday and all that kind of stuff, and people are like, oh yeah, well, I'm not into religion, or I don't like to do church, or I'm not into whatever this or that. I'm like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus. What do you got against Jesus? And nobody has anything against Je Jesus. is good. Jesus is cool. If I could just have Jesus and not all that other stuff, I'd be great. I'm like, cool. I'll see you tomorrow morning. <laughs> Come to church. That's what we do. It's all Jesus and nothing but Jesus, right? That's what we're about. Nevertheless, the people loved Jesus and they thought, we can't kill him during the Passover. We're going to have to wait till afterwards, right? We have to put him away quietly uh, not right now. Verse 3, then Satan. There you go. Then Satan. We don't often see Satan personally appear all that often in the Scripture. While he's always somewhere, we don't always see him. We usually see his demons, his devils, his minions, and all the different things that he sets in motion. But here... He makes an appearance. This is going to be a big deal for Satan because if he can take out Jesus, he believes he can take out God and usurp the throne, not the throne of Rome, but the throne of heaven, okay? This is Satan's goal from the day that he fell as the premier angel of all creation, but he got uh, full of himself and his pride swelled up. And he says, I want to be like the Most High. I want to make my throne like his, and I want to overcome God. And so Satan is here because he, he's thinking this is his moment. This is his chance to finish what he started back in the garden with Adam and Eve. So it says, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So we know him, Judas Iscariot. 
Uh, Judas is a fantastic name, a wonderful name. It very seldom makes the top 10 name of ba- list of baby names every year. But, but Judas means praise. It's a wonderful name. And this particular Judas, because there's another Judas amongst the 12, he's not even the only one, but he's named Iscariot, which is to say of than the village or town of Kiriath. Kiriath was a village south of Jerusalem in Judea. And as we look at all of the people that Jesus spent all night praying and then called and appointed 12 to be his apostles, his emissaries, his ambassador, his close crew, he picked one from Judea here near Jerusalem. And all the rest are from Galilee. They're a bunch of, bunch of Galileans, right? Uh, rednecks, right? Hicks. They're, they're country folk, right? But Judas is a more sophisticated kind of city slicker kind of guy. We put all these things on him, and, and some of it we'll, get, we'll know better when we get to heaven, the details of it. But we look from his behavior, we look from his actions, we look at the things that is recorded of him, and we see that truly he was uh, not going with the flow. He was not part of the crowd. In fact, it says right here, Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered amongst the twelve. Be certain that in 1 John chapter 4, Jesus teaches clearly, or uh, John teaches clearly, uh, that he who is in you, Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwelling you, is greater than he who is in the world, who is Satan, who is the prince of the air. He's the God of this age, okay? But, but Jesus, his Holy Spirit, is greater, and you cannot be possessed by Satan. You can be oppressed, which is to say he can hassle you and just make life miserable for you like he did for Job, but he can't take over your body unless, as we've read earlier, you open yourself up to him. You open yourself up to demonic influences and you get involved in astrology and the occult or all different kinds of wicked and pagan things, drugs and alcohol. All these things open you up to occult activities. And we don't know where Judas was, but we're going to see a little later here. One of the things that kind of bugged him a bit was his covetousness, his, his greed, probably coupled with pride and a couple other things. And so he opened himself up, and Satan saw the opportunity, swooped in. It says, one of two places, Jesus, it says Satan entered Judas. There will be another place during dinner uh, that we'll see later on where, again, it says Satan entered Judas, uh, and, and who was numbered amongst the twelve. So he, this is speaking of Judas Iscariot, so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Okay? So somehow Satan said, you know what? You're not getting the, the notoriety that you deserve. You're not getting the fame. You're not getting the the paycheck. This thing of following this itinerant rabbi, it's not paying off. But you go tell the chief priests they want him. I'll bet you they'd pay you. And it says in another gospel, he asked how much they would give him to betray Jesus for them. He And it's, it's interesting. It says, so he went his way. This is Judas's way. What is the way? of Judas. I've, I've te- 
mentioned just a minute ago. Uh, clearly, greed is his way. Money is his way. Power is his way. Prestige, position, becoming the greatest, you know, getting to the top of the pile. This is Judas's way. And he clearly must have thought that by attaching himself to Jesus, who is taking the nation of Israel by storm, and everybody's following him, and this great revival is breaking out. Man, if I can just get close to Jesus, I'm going to be part of this, you know, elite group in the kingdom. But here Jesus is lowly and humble, and he's just not seeing it happen. And here they are. It's Passover, millions of people. This is when Jesus should establish his kingdom, right? The Palm Sunday Road, he's coming down in, and everybody's calling, Jesus, Jesus, King Jesus. And, and what is he doing? He's crying. He's brokenhearted because he recognized what he is there to do and the high price of sin that has caused him to come and make this rescue operation for all of mankind. And Judas is seeing this, and, and it's, it's not going his way. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray them also. And they were glad and agreed to give him money, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him in the absence of the multitude. We read in Zechariah, in chapter 11, uh, the, the prophet, he writes um, in verse 10, this is Zechariah speaking. God has told Zechariah to make a demonstration of what he's going to do in the future to the nation of Israel. And he took this staff and he named it beauty. It says, I took my staff beauty and I cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And we realize this is a picture of what Judas is doing. He's fulfilling this pro prophecy to the T, 30 pieces of silver. We read back in the book of Exodus that that was the price that you would pay for a slave. And Jesus was sold for the price of a common slave to Judas. I mean, he probably could have asked a lot more. But he just put a little in his pocket, kind of a sad thing, how much, how easily we will sell out Jesus. Let me ask you for a minute, what price would you sell out Jesus for? I, we, we, of course, you're not going to sell him out for a million dollars. That's stupid, right? How about a billion, a trillion? How about all the money on the earth, all the power on earth, everything on earth? Oh, no, no, not me. How about for a little servant girl that says, aren't you one of his? How about for those moments when you think nobody's watching? See, it's easy not to sell Jesus out for a trillion dollars, but man, it's those little things. How, how easily <laughs> Satan can, can work us. Now, again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we're going to see not only Judas's betrayal, but we're going to see Peter's denial 
okay? And there's a different outcome depending on where you're at in your heart with the Lord. But right here we see that he sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. And then we read in the book of Acts how uh, that money was used to buy a field they call the potter's field. We read about in Zechariah where the poor and the indigent would be thrown and buried, okay? And uh, so this is kind of a little sneak preview of what's going to happen in Judas's life. In fact, uh, let me read just in Acts chapter 1 because it's really gory and people love to hear this stuff. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, after the apostles are gathered together and Judas has betrayed Jesus, we read... Um, in verse 16, Peter speaking, he says, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And then in parentheses, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. <laughs> And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. And so this is a little sneak preview of what's going to happen to Judas. So if you're reading along and you're not sure what you think of him, just know it doesn't end really well for him, okay? He's going to sell Jesus out. Rather than hanging with the group, he's going to hang by himself, right? He just isn't, he isn't a joiner, right? And so he promised and sought opportunity to betray them in the absence of the multitude. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Passover sacrificed. Uh, um, Flavius Josephus, a historian, writes about Passovers in those days, and he speaks of one at which 256,000 lambs were slaughtered for the Passover. This was all done in a period of about two hours from three to five o'clock on the day of preparation for killing all the lambs. And so it's like 15 lambs per second that are just being slaughtered. It's, it's wholesale. In fact, the blood up in the temple area would run down the hill into the little creek at the bottom of the valley, the Kidron Valley, and they would run into the Kidron River and just turn the river red with blood. It's interesting, the word Kidron, Kidron River, means murky. And this is this river that they're going to cross over to the Mount of Olives in that night to, be, to pray and then be arrested. But this is all going on right now, the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed or sacrificed. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Uh, Luke is the only one that mentions who it is that goes. This is going to be Peter and John. Now, before we get done, we're going to realize, if you don't realize already, that none of this is happening by accident. It's all been scripted. You all have a script of exactly what is going to happen. It's called your Bible. And God has spoken for thousands of years in advance at all the events that are going to happen here and God is totally sovereign and completely in control of all this. And one aspect of it is Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And so he knows that he wants to have this Passover meal without any interruptions. So he takes two of his trusted apostles, and here we learn, P 
Peter and John and sends them on an errand to prepare for the Passover so that Judas won't know where it's going to be at because Judas wants to betray him. And boy, I know where they're going to be for dinner tonight. Nobody will be there. You can get them real easy. But Judas won't know where they're going to be for dinner that night. Peter and John are set to prepare the Passover. So they asked him, where do you want us to prepare? Um, let's see, there's like three million people in town. How, where, where on earth are we going to find, possibly find a place? So he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house in which he enters. And it's like, how on earth am I going to do that? There's got to be guys carrying pitchers of water everywhere. Everybody's getting ready for Passover tonight. I mean, it's a big commotion. It's like trying to go to uh, the grocery store, right, on Thanksgiving or whatever. And it's like, man, the place is packed. And you want me to find somebody shopping and follow them home? It's a little bit different than that in that he says, find a man carrying a pitcher of water. The pitchers of water were used to go to the well and fill up to bring home. And in Jesus' day, men didn't carry the pitchers of water. That was what women did, okay? And so it would be something rather striking. It'd be like finding Mike at the grocery store shopping for Thanksgiving dinner, okay? You're like, oh, that's weird. What's he doing, right? Well, he doesn't know nothing about cooking a Thanksgiving dinner, right? Um, unless Cheryl sends me out for whipped cream because we forgot it for the pumpkin pie. I could do that, right? But at any rate... This is going to be rather obvious to the apostles. Oh, whoa, just like Jesus said, there's a guy. He's carrying a pitcher. Now, this is pure speculation on Mike's part. But as you look through the scriptures, uh, a couple interesting things crop up in this place where the disciples, the apostles would regularly meet after Jesus' resurrection in the book of Acts. They often met at Mark's mother's house. And you're like, Mark who? Well, he had an uncle, his name was uh, Barnabas. And it's very possible, and again, it's just pure speculation, but this could be Barnabas carrying that pitcher of water, which would totally fit with the personality and the, the character of who Barnabas is. Nevertheless, at any rate, they find this man and uh, they follow him to the house. He enters in verse 11, then you shall say that to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, again, this is a huge feast. If you've been with us over the years uh, during uh, the spring season, during Passover, unleavened bread, our Easter and Resurrection Sunday, we have a Seder dinner here, or I will teach on the Seder dinner, which is the remembrance of the Feast of Passover. How many of you guys have been to one of these teachings where I've taught it, okay? So I'm going to touch on some of those points. This might be repeat for some of you, but they're going to prepare for the Seder dinner. Seder is a word that simply means order. By Jesus' day and age, this meal had become ordered, and they would have a Haggadah, a book, a script, where they would rehearse the dinner point by point by point. Now you light the candles. Now you wash your hands. Now you bless the bread. Now you pass the cup. And everything is done. And every single thing has a special meaning that ties back to the first exodus. 
or the first Passover recorded in Exodus chapter 12. And so by Jesus' day, it's become quite the scripted event. And so they're supposed to prepare for this. They need to make sure that they have the unleavened bread. They, they have the bitter herbs. They would have the haroset, the sweet relish, like with apples. They would have the salt water. They would have all the different elements that go into this meal. They would have to prepare all of that. And one of the things that would be included first and foremost would be a roasted lamb. That's the center of the Passover. So they're supposed to go and prepare this Seder feast, okay? So verse 13, when they went and found it, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. It's fun, and if you go to Israel, they'll take you to a room. It's not far from Caiaphas's house. And Caiaphas's house is well documented as the place where, uh, like Peter locked eyes with Jesus when the cock crowed three times. And just up the street from it, not very far away, is a place they call the upper room. Whether it is or not, you know, it's speculative. But it's a beautiful place. And the acoustics in it are insane. And uh, it's a wonderful place to sing a cappella with a church group or something like that. It's a pretty good-sized room, but even as a good-sized room, it would be maybe a third or a quarter to the size of the room that we're in right now, right? It's just not all that huge, but it's certainly big enough for Jesus, his disciples, um, and maybe even some others that would have been there, the people that lived in the home. So, verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. This is the hour, okay? It is evening time on Nisan 14. Three stars have come out in the sky, it's time to go, and, and we start lighting the candles and going into the ceremony of the Seder. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knows what's coming. He knew what was coming as he wound his way down the Palm Study Road. He knew what was coming as he argued with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew what was coming as he ministered amongst the crowd this whole week. He knew what was coming when he was just before he even came to the manger in Bethlehem. This is the reason why he took on human flesh that he could go to the cross for you and I. And to do that, it passes through Passover. And so he says to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is peak emotion, okay? This is just super passionate. He is beside himself with excitement, with fervor, intensity. Man, this is it. This is the meal I get to eat with you guys before I suffer. It's a tradition that we get now in our legal system, when prisoners are executed, they get a last supper, right? And it's like, I, I, I hear some of these guys, oh, I had a chili dog and Fritos or something, you know, for my last supper. I'm like, you're supposed to have unleavened bread and wine. This is your last supper, okay? That's why we give you that opportunity. It's a picture of Jesus having this last supper and, and, and being able to um, share the work that Jesus did on our behalf. But he says, with fervent desire, I've decided to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Keep in mind, he knows who's at the table. 
He knows Judas is there. He knows Peter's there. These guys are going to deny him, um, disown him. And still, I want to eat dinner with you. Kind of a, an interesting thing. I, I, in my mind, I'm almost like if it was you and I, it's like, <gasps> finally, this is the last time I have to eat with you lot. You know, I get to go back to heaven and eat like, you know, a king, right? Like royalty. But that's not where he's at. He, this is his last moment, his last opportunity just to love on them and to drill home everything he's been wanting to share with them. It's all packed into this. He says, verse 16, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The Passover follows a specific order, as I've mentioned. If you look in the book of Exodus, in chapter 6, beginning at verse 6 through 8, we kind of get this idea of what this meal is all about. It revolves fundamentally around four cups. Four cups of the, the grape, the fruit, the vine, the, the wine. And each cup has a special place in the meal. And is going through, they'll go through all these points. But in Exodus chapter 6, for forecasting what God is going to do in delivering the children of, through the Passover, he says, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And it goes, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great trumpets. And I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, much of this is lost on the Christian church. In the years following Christ's crucifixion and the beginning of the early church, the Roman Empire uh, persecuted Christians until Constantine, Emperor Constantine came along and he made Christianity legal. He became a Christian. His mom became a Christian. And all of a sudden it was cool to be a Christian. They came out from the catacomb and they're all good. But in this process of going through all of that, the church became diluted and weak. It didn't cost them anything, and the witness was weakened. And, and, and in so many different ways, uh, they looked back. They, Constantine called a council, the Council of Nicaea, to get all the church leaders from around uh, the world to come and talk about the basic things of Jesus. They hadn't been, to gather, been able to gather openly. And at the Council of Nicaea, while they did a lot of wonderful things like the uh, Apostles' Creed and whatnot, they, they had this root of anti-Semitism amongst them in which they accused the Jews of killing their Messiah. While they weren't wrong, the Jews did kill their Messiah. Really, it was you and I and every sinner who's ever walked the face of the earth that caused Christ to go to the cross. But in this spirit of anti-Semitism, they did their very best to distance Christianity from Judaism. And in distancing it, they stopped celebrating Passover, which the church had been doing for 300 years. They stopped selling, celebrating Passover and instead grabbed another spring festival in which they worshiped, the Romans worshiped the, the Ishtar, okay? 
the mother goddess, the fertility goddess. And this worship of Ishtar developed into things we have nowadays like Ishtar eggs, okay? Easter eggs and those kind of things. Ishtar bunnies, right? All these fertility kinds of things that were never part of Christianity, but the church itself was responsible for putting this wedge in. Had they not done that, you and I would have grown up celebrating Passover like the early church always did and would understand the depth of what God is saying here. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my own. I will bring you out. And we would understand what this Passover meal means that Jesus wanted so terribly to share with us. But again, I told you, Jesus is now going to take that Passover, this huge feast, and he's going to take it to the next level, okay? So he says, uh, then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, divide this, divide it amongst yourself, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so the cup would be divided, everybody would have their portions, they would be ready to get going in this thing, and he says, and this is the last one I'm going to do. I'm going to the cross. Until I see you all together again in the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, we're not going to do this. But there is a day coming when he will consummate it. He'll complete it wholly at the wedding supper of the Lamb, where we will be the bride and we will be gathered together. And it'll be a fantastic thing. And this is what he's speaking of right here. But in the meantime, he reverts back to the elements of the communion table. And it says, and he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the bread. It's unleavened bread. It's whole. It's pure. It's undefiled. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, a sinless, spotless lamb who would lay down his life for us. He is that bread of life. In John chapter 6, he tells the disciples, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood you have no part in me and everybody's like cannibalism what kind of wacky religion is this he goes on to say no i'm talking spiritually i'm talking figuratively i'm talking about my blood and my body being spiritual and you need to enter into communion with me anytime in the middle east and it's true to this very day if you sit and have a meal with somebody you become one with them the picture is from taking that same bit of food and breaking it. I eat some and you eat some. That's what becomes who we are. We started from that same root. We share that and we'll have a bond for life. And so if you go into the Middle East, having dinner is way more important who you're eating with and how long you'll eat. People will go for four hours because dinner is more about the fellowship than just, you know, shoving a burger and fries down your throat. Okay, it's, it's a spiritual thing and this is what jesus is trying to say this is my body broken for you i am the bread of life i am the manna that came down from heaven i will sustain you i will be you with you always and he gave the bread he gave it to them gave thanks praying and uh saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and they would then take and eat okay and and they would become one he would go on to say, likewise, he also took a cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so this is something actually, again, fulfilling prophecy that was prophesied years earlier by the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, 
verse 31, Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. A new covenant, a new heart, if you will, even a new blood transfusion, okay? You're going to be a new creation in Christ and it's done through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins. This is the whole point of Passover, of the sacrificial system that God instituted when he covered Adam and Eve for their sin with an animal skin. And we see Cain and Abel starting out with the sacrifices. And all of this is done. We read in Leviticus chapter 17 that I have given you the blood on the altar to make atonement for your soul. Because every time we trespass against God's word, against God's plan, against God's will, that's known as sin, every time we trespass against God, it breaks our relationship with God. God is life. God is the source of life, the sustainer of life, and we have broken our relationship with life. It's a picture of death. And the only way we can find our way back into His grace is that something must die. Something must shed its blood. Therefore, the blood atonement. That's the, the religion of the Jews, right? It's the only legitimate, bona fide, God-authorized religion on the face of the earth. And this is what he did with the nation of Israel. They would have the altar, and people would bring the sacrifice. You can imagine in Jesus' day, all of these lambs that are, are there, and they're about to be sacrificed. First, they had to stay in the house with the family for those five days and be inspected. And you can imagine how the kids would think, oh, we got a lamb. And then on the fifth day... Where'd the lamb go? Well, he's right there on the plate. And, you, and, and the impact of what the cost of sin is, right? What's the wages of sin? Every time, right? The wages of sin is death. And this is that picture. So Jesus is saying now, this blood is the new covenant, okay? I am the sacrificed lamb. I have bled for your sins, if you'll believe on me, You'll live free, just like the children of Israel were freed from the bondage to Pharaoh. So he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. It's noteworthy, it's the cup after supper. As you follow along in the feast and all the different things, we get to the part of the meal called the afikomen, where they take the matzah and they break one of them and put it inside the envelope. It's got three partitions. But one they put in the middle, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they break the Son and they hide the rest. It's called dessert, the afikomen. And after the supper, the kids come out, they look for the afikomen, right? Just like we would look for Jesus, risen from the tomb. He's no longer there, right? And this is a beautiful thing. Well, after supper, that's the third cup, the cup of redemption. I have paid the purchase price to win you back from Satan. And that's what this picture is all about in this last supper. This cup is the new covenant. You are now my children, if you'll just believe in me and my finished work on the cross, in my blood which is shed for you. Verse 21, but behold, the land of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question among themselves 
which of them it was who would do this thing. You can imagine, there's a betrayer, there's a rat, there's a weasel, there's somebody who's going to snitch you out, they're going to sell you out, and he's one of us. Just imagine in this room, which one of us is it going to be? Is it I? This is the interesting thing, right? All the apostles we read, they're like, is it I? Is it I? But there was one who knew. He knew who it was. He had already made the deal. He was already ready to sell Jesus out. And I I love it how this goes. The hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes the way it was predicted. Um, In Acts, again, chapter 2, this is the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching, and in verses 22 through 24, we read, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by, and look at this, determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom Christ, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaking, he says in verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I've received from my Father. Going on in the upper room in John chapter 13, Jesus would teach in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come and that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. And summer, and, and during supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. We're very familiar with that story. But in all this, it's a predetermined purpose and foreknowledge and jesus didn't have his life taken from him he laid it down it was all according to god's plan in john 17 we read as jesus is praying for the disciples after he's washed the disciples feet after he's washed judas's feet after judas has departed then he prays for those who are left and in john 17 at verse 12 he prays to the father While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so they're all wondering, is it I? Is it I? You know, it's an interesting thing. We do communion, and quite often I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 23. And that which has been given to me, now I give to you. That on the night that Christ was betrayed, uh, he gathered the disciples together and we go through the communion meal. But if you look into 1 Corinthians and you look at all the different things that are written before it and after it, fundamentally Paul is condemning the church of Corinth because they are taking it greedily, without thought, without examining their heart. 
And he's saying, man, this is an opportunity for you to get right. Just like it was an opportunity for all the apostles that night gathered with Jesus to get right. And Jesus was still reaching out to Judas, but Judas had it in his heart, his way, the way of greed and error. And they had no way of knowing who it was. That's one of the things I think is so interesting about this, is they're all wondering, is it I? That indicates nobody even knew it was Judas, okay? We're going to continue on next week. We're going to stop right here, and we're going to, and you already know who it was, right? So no spoiler warning. Ralph, where are you? Come on up, bro. But it's kind of interesting how this is going to go about. Uh, as Ralph is coming up, I'm just going to finish out this small section here. Now there was a dispute among them as to which should be considered the greatest. You know, Jesus purposed to set John in front of him at the table and Judas behind him at the table. The places of honor. Only the host could choose who got to sit next to Jesus. Jesus picked Judas to sit next to him. And no doubt, this is probably part of the reason they're arguing. Why does Judas get to sit next to you? I'm better than him. I'm Peter. I'm whatever, right? And uh, so this breaks out. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater He who sits at the table or he who serves, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. He's about ready to wash their feet. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. An amazing promise. We're going to pick up there and we're going to run back into it. But this morning, just for you and I to know, A, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And yes, the devil, he's going to cause you to trip and stumble and fall. He's going to put all kinds of obstacles in your way and difficulties. And and we're human. We're frail. We're going to see Peter fall next week, but he's going to get back up again. Jesus is going to restore him. The question is, do you want Jesus to pick you up and restore you? Jesus, Judas didn't want that. And this is, this is the story of the Passover. Those who would sacrifice that lamb, cover the Torah post of their house in his blood, would be saved. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be set free? This is the new covenant. His blood shed on your behalf. Your sin penalty, your sin debt paid in full. All you have to do is receive it. Say, thank you, Jesus, and you'll be set free. But if you're looking for something else, if you're looking for position, prestige, power, if you think coming to church is going to bring you All these wonderful blessings, just like we sang this morning. I'm not looking for blessings, Jesus. All I want is you. You'll find that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's a good king. He's going to bless you with all kinds of goodies, right? 
But our heart's purpose when we come to the table, when we come to Jesus, is to just say, here I am, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And know that he receives those, just like that tax collector that he watched this week um, who, who had a humble heart. So this is our opportunity, just to get right with God, examine our heart. Is it I, Lord? And you know, this is a beautiful thing about that prayer. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, could you show me something that's not right in my life? Could you show me somebody I need to forgive? Even as you pray that prayer, bam. That's one of those prayers God just answers like right away. Oh yeah, this is what you need to work on. It's an easy prayer. And then all you have to do is do it. And each step of the way, he'll guide you and cleanse you and welcome you, bring you back as a child. Amen? Father God, I want to thank you for this passage of Scripture, this Passover meal, this, this remembrance of what you have done for us and are continuing to do us through us, through your Holy Spirit, your word working in our life, your promise of that meal where we'll be gathered together and all sin will be washed away. In the meantime, I pray that we would come to you with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That, Lord Jesus, we would recognize that we're, we're just humans, we're dust, but in your Holy Spirit, we're made new. And we're king's kids. We have been adopted. And that, Lord, we now have that promise of eternity with you. Help us to walk worthy. Help us to walk by your Spirit, I pray. And should you speak into our hearts things that are words of correction and encouragement, we would hear and heed. We would do. And in doing so, we would grow so close to you. I, I, I thank you again for this morning. And I pray, Lord, as you dismiss us on our way, that you would go with us and uh, lead us to people that don't know you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.